welcome to Talk With Me. This is Marsha Epstein, and this is kind of chapter three of Talk With Me episodes. And as I say that, going through little changes, and we'll see how that goes, but I'm trying to say we are at the intersection of art and mental health. And so if you aren't there, then this isn't the podcast that I want a guest for. That doesn't make sense, really. I'm going to really try to be more focused on those two things that to me are such a natural link. Yesterday, I was listening to Art Speak on KKFI, Kansas City's community radio station with the wonderful Maria Vasquez Boyd and Samantha Slipsky, who is a poet who's been on talk with me and is very active in the Kansas City poetry scene, made the statement that I've heard so many times, which was that writing saved her life, you know? That's what brought me to doing what became chapter two episodes, which were episodes primarily with artists. And because it's a radio podcast, well, that meant writers of words, artists of words were more likely to be able to communicate what they were up to than people who were only focused on other kinds of art. But I've had dancers on the show, filmmakers on the show, painters on the show, muralists on the show. I welcome people who are focused on any kind of art. And I welcome people who are focused on mental health advocacy. And especially when what they're doing involves art, as I'm going to mention my annual event called Words Save Lives every year on September 10th, which is World Suicide Prevention Day. I am honored to have a whole bunch of different performers who are diverse in all kinds of ways, age, gender orientation, sexual orientation, gender identity, veteran status, ability, all kinds of different things about them at, and different kinds of performances. I will say that this year on September 10th, here in Lawrence, Kansas at the Eldridge Hotel, not a motorcycle, but performances will include poetry, story, comedy, music, and drag performances. Because last year when I was planning Word Save Lives, I was listening to NPR and an interview on Fresh Air with Terry Gross and RuPaul. And what pops out of RuPaul's mouth but drag saves lives. And I thought, oh man, of course, because Word Save Lives is about bringing people together. It's about creating connections and value and having artists being able to express that at the mic and people who are artists are not in the audience. And it's a wonderful thing. And this year, Sunday, September 10th, from 6 to 10 p.m. in the big six room of the historic Eldridge Hotel at the corner of 7th and Massachusetts in downtown Lawrence, um, the room, the hotel is accessible with a um, one outside entrance that has a, a concrete ramp and an escalator, I mean, excuse me, elevator down to the first floor. And I want to give a big shout out to um, the Eldridge Hotel and the Olivia Collection for hosting the event because they have offered and are doing this at no charge, which isn't the usual way you get to use a room at that fancy historic hotel. Anyway, I'm obviously excited about that. I'm excited about art in general and the way it improves our lives. It's so important. And the opportunities and kind of pressure on artists to really make statements to get people thinking, especially in these times. 
So I am going to welcome an artist who is from the Topeka, Kansas area, who came to me thanks to the, the internet, yay, because of a post on the Facebook group, Voice of Lawrence Poetry. Um, and so I get to meet for the first time and hear some poetry for the first time from Jan Stotts. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited. I love, I will say that the group of poets that you sometimes perform with, the Speakeasy Poets in Topeka, Kansas, those are some of the most wonderful people I've met in the poetic community around here. And I have to give a huge shout out to Annette Billings. And also, gosh, you know, I think about, I, I just, I kind of, it's like, oh, there's so many good people. Um, so I guess I'm going to stop and just highlight Annette, which doesn't feel fair, and Sue Edgerton Johnston, who is the person who is also keeping that monthly showcase available, open mic on first Wednesdays in Topeka, Kansas. Anyway, so you sometimes perform. I've seen little things on Speakeasy that show Jack performing. So I want to get to know you. I want to get to know your poetry. I want to know what got you to poetry. All kinds of things. I'm kind of nosy. <laughs> Speakeasy was instrumental in me getting to know my um, slam mentor. Who is? Who is Matt Spezia. Whoa, one of the best. Absolutely. Matt Spezia is a nationally recognized, nationally awarded uh, prize-winning slam person. He's, and he's a wonderful person in so many ways and a, such a talented artist. Cool. It was. He's, he's a very um, sharing person who is always available to help um, new people and got me into the idea of what I kind of call granny slam. <laughs> well, tell us what granny slam is. It's slam for done by someone of a certain age. And it means that I don't go as fast as he does. And most people don't go as fast no, as Matt does. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm nowhere near the performer he is, right. but I enjoy doing it. And I've enjoyed uh, meeting the people in the slam community. That's great. What, what got you to a mic the first time there? I'm assuming it was at Speakeasy, but I don't know that. Yeah, it was at Speakeasy and it was Annette. And how did I first meet Annette? It's, I've known her for, you know, like three or four, probably three years. It seems to me it must have something to do with the library because the Topeka Library is like the, the center of all kinds of writing in Topeka uh -huh. and is a, a wonderful support and aid to all authors. I would have never gotten to writing my novel if it hadn't been that I was wandering through the library and picked up a, a notice for NaNoWriMo. Are you familiar with NaNoWriMo? I don't know that one. NaNoWriMo is the national, let's see, National Novel Writers uh, Month, which is okay. in November. And it encourages 
people to write 50,000 words in 30 days, which is uh, fairly daunting. Yeah. Uh, but I was um, fast closing re approaching retirement and thinking, you know, well, what am I going to do? Uh -huh. And so I thought, well, I'll just do this. Wow. And the support from the library helped me um, to meet the Kansas Authors Club. Uh -huh. And the, between the library and the Kansas Authors Club, they helped me self-publish um, my novel, The Orchid Garden. That's great. I think about there's also that great writers right here that yes. they do that the Topeka Shawnee County Public Library. One, it's a beautiful, beautiful facility. Welcoming. It's like a restaurant and an art gallery and cool things are happening. And you know, I've actually never even been through the stacks of books because <laughs> I've always been there for other reasons. And it's a wonderful place. And then I know through Annette that you know, every once in a while, she'll let me know about things that are going on there. And I see that a lot of the writer friends I know participate in things there. And it's amazing to me. It's a wonderful place. So how cool to hear how that was a huge support in your writing career. Yes. So the, uh, the library helped get me started. Kansas, then I found, you know, Kansas Authors Club uh -huh. and Kansas Writers, Inc. Um, which is uh, <clears throat> another writing group. Um, there must be at least four or five writing groups that are loosely connected to the library. Is, is Kansas Writers, Inc. connected to the it library? It meets at the library. Cool, at the Topeka Library. Yep. Another thing to find out about. So to back up farther than just the past few years, when did you start writing? Well, I <laughs> I really didn't take up writing seriously again. <clears throat> well, really for the first time until like four years ago. I was I've always worked and I just, when I'm working, I just don't seem to have enough headspace for that and writing too. So when I was approaching retirement, as I said, that's when um, I wrote the book. Uh -huh. And then people were saying, well, you know, when's the sequel coming out? And I thought, do I want to do another book? Books are so hard. So I thought... <laughs> So I thought, well, maybe I'll do poetry, you know. I thought that would be easier, more fool me. Yeah. But, <laughs> but when we sold the farm and moved into town, it seemed to jar something loose. And that's when I first started, um, first couple of poems came popping out. And so can I read you one that came? Sure. This one's called Downsizing. Downsizing, so trendy, ecologically correct and financially prudent. But the reality is millions of decisions. Each possession must be judged, weighing use against nostalgia. 
not just chairs and beds, but teaspoons and photograph albums. His father's gilded framed Kentucky Colonel certificate versus my father's Art Deco headshot, Saturnine and Young, paid for by working every free hour to hide his family's poverty. Chairs brought from Kansas in a covered wagon against an oak table made from the boards of his great-grandfather's coffin, used for the funeral before interring him in a winding sheet under the sod of a treeless plain. Our lives are pruned like the hardy roses we left behind. Deadwood is trimmed, discarded. The vital rootstock of our past laid bare, thorns blunted by time and love. There's so much in that, and I think any listener can relate to you know, family stories and, and on so many different levels, you know, thinking about that, those hard decisions and, yeah. and, and necessary decisions, especially as we're getting into a time where it seems like every few months I, some article comes to my attention about how basically nobody's going to want your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Tiny houses in Ikea are the thing. And yeah. that's, not, that's not where, you know, we live in a Victorian home. And a lot of our pieces of furniture, like you describe in your poem, mm-hmm. have family connection, you know. And so I also know that our sons will never live in this no. house. They'll never live in this town, you know. So it's like, hmm, what do we do? And and I, because we have this lovely home we're so fortunate to live in, we became the repository when my <laughs> maternal grandparents had died. My mm-hmm. mom said, you guys have space. You take this. I don't care whether you use it, but right now we need some place to put it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, we did that too out at the farm. We had a large basement and we did tend to, to store things, uh-huh. which is rapidly, you know, becomes a permanent <laughs> yes. situation. Yes, but you can't take it with you. Right. And so you have to, you have to decide what's important yeah. and what's necessary. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe words become the way of telling some of the stories of the things that, that don't get permanence in our collection. Right. And don't necessarily go to anybody that we know afterwards. I, I'm still really interested in so you said like when you were working so much, you didn't really have the the energy for writing. But I have the sense that you came back to writing. Did you were you a writer as a kid? Were you a writer? I was a writer school? in high school, and like a lot of uh, women my age, I was um, freshman in college. Uh, met somebody and decided, oh, well, I'll get an MRS degree instead of the uh, bachelor's degree and dropped out. Mm-hmm. So after that, it, I was working most of the time until um, when I lived in Washington, D.C. We had our son, and I took time off to be a full-time mom for a while, but that seemed to op- <laughs> occupy me, too. Yes. <laughs> So, you know, when we came back to Kansas and it was just, life's been busy. Yeah. Really busy. And it had to slow down quite a bit before I could get around to writing again. Uh-huh. 
what was your early writing when you were in high school? Poetry. Okay. Um, it got in the local paper, and I always felt that that somehow contributed to its demise a couple of years ago. <laughs> the, the newspaper's demise? <laughs> yeah. Or your writing? <laughs> oh, maybe both. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, my grandfather was was a author. He did articles for the local newspaper, too, and he did poetry and after he died, when we were cleaning out his house, um, we found in a tucked away in a drawer about two pages of risque limericks. How funny! What does he do with those? Um, I have no idea. Oh. Like, like a I lot was of things. Thinking they could just... be a great part of your slam poetry. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny about slam poetry because a lot of people my age. Um, look at some modern poetry and say, ah, it's not poetry. It doesn't have, you know, rhyme. It doesn't have meter, you know. We just don't recognize it as poetry. But then when slam comes along, which has a definite meter and a definite rhyme, um, a lot of people my age simply aren't um, able to hear it. They don't go to the things where, uh -huh. you know, slam poetry is around. And when they do hear it, they often say, I just can't understand it. It's going back too fast. <laughs> well, I think that's real too, though. <laughs> that's why I like books. I, I love going to a poetry reading and hearing the poet share poetry and also being able to buy a book, a chapbook, you know, bigger or smaller, and and seeing that poet poem again, and being able to to look at it, kind of savor the words, get it in a different way, but I still hear it in that person's voice, which is cool. And sometimes there's wordplay that I didn't catch yes. until I see the written <clears throat> word because I just heard it as a certain way, a certain word, and it's like, oh no. My my favorite example is a, a poetry book entitled Oliver Leaves. And as I say that, listeners may wonder, what is she saying, Oliver Leaves? All of her leaves? Or Oliver, a person's name, leaves? Or, you know, what what is, is this about leaves off of a tree? What is this thing? Which, of course, was very is very intentional mm -hmm. in the title of the book, which, in fact, has a lot of reference to a person named Oliver, even though there's also this imagery of trees and leaves. And so, I mean, I love that. I love that creativity. It's kind of like, that's how my brain works. <laughs> Might scare some people sometimes. <laughs> what I see, what I hear may not be what somebody else sees and hears. Well, I'm trying to get a chat book together. I, I keep I keep putting it off or either that or I keep, doing more things that I think might go in it, it's hard to just stop it and say, you know, this is it. I'm fortunate enough to have a sister who does, who can do all the typesetting. And so she formats for you. She can. Uh -huh. And the, uh, she did the cover for my novel. And nice. <clears throat> yeah, it's really nice to get an expert cover uh -huh. free. Uh -huh. So I'm trying to get a chat book out, but I'm just haven't got there yet. 
I've been taking classes in poetry at uh, Washburn. Uh And then this semester, I'm going to try and drive every Thursday to Emporia to take a class from Kevin Rabus. Yeah, Kevin's amazing. Kevin Rabus and Dennis Etzel Jr. will be performing at Word Save Lives on Sunday, September 10th in Lawrence, Kansas. <laughs> Kevin is a jazz musician as well as a poet, and I love that combination. Yeah. Yeah, he's also, I've, I just got his, his syllabus. He's a very structured teacher, which, is, <laughs> which as a teacher, I really appreciate. Yes, yes, that's great. That's very cool. And it gets me, I just kind of, my brain went off on, on Kevin, who's so delightful, so delightful, wonderful. Cool. So I also want to mention, because you're talking about sort of ways, you, you mentioned Kansas Authors Club and the Topeka Shawnee County Public Library and, and, and Kansas Writers, Inc., some of the things, and now you're talking about maybe that you will be studying with Kevin Rabus and and uh, this whole thing of publishing. You know, I know that the... That some of the things, writing events in Topeka at the library cover that. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a big one that's happening. It's an annual event now um, in Kansas City. And the dates have moved from, from Poetry Month to October. But uh, so it's still, a, it's a year off. But in October of 2018, there will be the next version of what was originally called the Kansas City Poetry Throwdown. And now it's called Fountain Verse. Um, Kansas City Poets, Poetry and Small Press. Um, and there's a Facebook page and it's it's a three-day weekend of performances and workshops. And several of the workshops are poet publishers, publishers mm-hmm. from small presses. So there's that opportunity. So I would encourage people who are interested. And these are people coming in from all over the country who are part of this event. People who've been writing since the 60, 1960s to people who are newer, younger poets who maybe have been writing and sharing their work in the last couple of years only. So a, a huge mix of people, but some amazing names. Um, and so October 2018 and, and a Facebook page for Fountain Verse um, be a great thing to, to follow, to know about, and to get some ideas in terms of that publishing piece, because I find that that is a big challenge for people, you know? And you were talking about with, with your own idea about, you know, with a chapbook, one dilemma is, so when is it finished? Mm-hmm. And the chapbook idea, as I understand it, is basically a small collection of poetry. There's There are many examples of people who put out a small chapbook that later becomes part of some other work. Right. And so that may be something just to think about is, you know, maybe I do a, a short version right now and it may become something else in the future, but it gives people a chance to experience my work and in, in the written word as well as in person. Cool. Yeah, the there's a lot going on in Kansas City um, all over about poetry, but most of it takes place at night and yeah. my husband and I um, being the age we are are not fond of driving right. in Kansas, Kansas City right. at night so we are kind of uh, limited to well I will tell you that when they do the events um, it's it's all day it's day afternoon and evening so the, and those workshops tend to be daytime things so 
that could be something that you participate in. Yeah. Yeah. But I know there, there are a lot, and it's, it's a jaunt from Topeka to Kansas City. It is. Um, you know, I always see um, where Matt's, you know, he bounces back and forth, you know. And then there's Chicago. And oh, there. yeah. <laughs> you know. Matt Spezia, folks, S-P-E-Z-I-A, catch him. <laughs> it's true. He's great. It's hard to believe he's as young as he I is. I know. It's just tremendous. So here he is, Washburn student by day, poet by night, weekend, other times, other times because that's when it happens. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So what took you to the mic? Tell us about going to the mic the first time. It's just a little bit uh, more than just going to an event, going to the mic. Well, Annette kept saying, well, <laughs> just come on down. And so I did. Uh-huh. And I didn't... Um, do anything the first time, uh-huh. you know, most people don't because I see a lot of, you know, the new people come in, usually don't get up to the mic the first time. Which is fine. Everybody. Yeah. And so then, you know, by the next month I had something I could do. Uh-huh. And then, you know, that led to, to meeting Matt and getting, you know, my, Literally toe dipped into the slam, you know, pond. So, how did you and Matt connect at Speakeasy? How did that happen? I read something that I'd done, and he <laughs> said, "That's nice. Would you read it on on my radio program?" Because oh, he has that yes, radio program, yes. you know, that he does with two people out of Chicago. Uh-huh. So then, you know, I got my courage up and I called the number and I read it, and and all three hosts were very kind and. There I went. That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah, there's a lot. There is a lot happening in this Midwest area. And, you know, I think about Emery Dirks and others who are in Salina. There are people all over doing things and connecting. And and the podcasting is part of that, is being able to get words out to people that aren't in the proximity in other ways. It's very cool. Very cool. Gosh. So you're, you're writing, and have you started writing some things that are of a different tone for Slam, or are you... Uh, how oh, are you yeah, um, my first two poems, I read the one of them, the downsizing was one of them, and I was writing several of those, and then I think I've only written um, three Slams, uh-huh. and so I've got, you know, several, oh, maybe 15 to 20 poems that aren't Slams, uh-huh. And so I kind of moved back and forth. Um, the slams tend to be more in response to something that that made me a little angry or upset. Uh-huh. They tend to have, um, while two of them have uh, also a, a comic uh, element, uh, one of them is just pure. Well, the first one I, I wrote and that uh, attracted uh, Matt was... Um, not comic at all. Can you have that one with you? Oh, yeah. Well, that'd be great. Kind of in honor of Matt's mentorship, <laughs> but this is the poem that connected you solidly. Right. It's called Why Ask Why. Why is rape worth only six months in jail? If the rapist plays a sport at a college we all hail, he gets nothing at all, lest the program should fail. Why is blame the victim still the rapist's best defense? even though we know morally it makes no sense. 
You say she dressed too sexy? That is her right in the land of the free. A free woman has a right to walk down the street stark naked. Yes, bare, from her head to her feet. Breast bobbing, hips swinging to her own happy beat without being molested. Arrested? Yes. Molested? Never. Newsflash. On average, there are over 300,000 victims of rape and sexual assault each year in the United States. The number of women in the U.S. who ask for it? Zero. Why are welfare moms condemned to economic death for having babies with men who lie with every breath, then desert them, desert them to have more fun and brag about their baby mamas like notches on a gun? Newsflash. According to the U.S. Department of Ed survey, 12% um, of the boys in the third grade review receive placement in special ed, while only 5% of the girls are tested, even though learning disabilities occur equally in boys and girls. Elementary school girls are nobody's fool. They test higher in math and science too, but by middle school, they learn society's rule and test lower than boys all the way through high school. Why have we been down so long it's all we can see? Watch as women march in big cities in NDC wearing kitty hats. Aren't they cute, you ask? Hell yes, they're cute, but did cute ever ease our life or our tasks? Hell no, check the facts. Ladies, if you protest, strike, or lead a march, you have to look strong, united, and in charge, not cute. Cute gets you patted on the head by your spouse, not headed for the Senate or even the House. Why ask why Hillary's votes were tied to what people thought of women in general, not just Hillary? Seeing all of us as frail, tricky, unable to handle responsibility. Well, Trump's molestations and his vulgarity only served to increase his popularity. Newsflash, NBC News reports that two-thirds of all women in the U.S., that one-third of all women in the U.S. have been molested. Women, I ask you to ponder very carefully before concluding you're not, and that's said 33. The stats refer to all types of molestation, from rapes and sick games to doctors and dentists who enjoyed our pain and insisted on seeing us again and again, to bosses who hinted the way to promotion lay only in that sadly too, too familiar horizontal motion. If you think really hard, force yourself to brood on the places you know that you don't want to go, you might just conclude 33% is way too low. Why do low tech so-called primitive societies have low incidences of abuse in all varieties. Why? Because many worship or revere our own Mother Earth, the eternal female as a source of rebirth. But in our civilized countries, men rape frequently, both the Earth and its women with impunity. Why ask why men have been afraid of women for millennia? Why? because we hold the future of the human race in our wombs, a very mysterious, unknowable place. We need men for an instant, for an infant. And please, 
We don't need men to protect us. When you can see with ease, men are who we've needed protection from for endless centuries. Men need us to satisfy their hunger for sex, a hunger old as time and out of date as T-Rex. To refuse it will awaken a dangerous rage that even in this present more advanced age will cause a judge to recognize a spoiled teenage boy as a kindred soul whose too brief sentence makes justice a fool. So to go back to the question that began this slam, women don't ask why. Just say, I am. Wow. So tell me about that, where that came from in you. Um, well, part of it comes from uh, teaching and the fact, you know, that you see um, girls shortchanged by the education system. And the other part of it um, was from a case that came up on TV about a, I think it was a rape in Virginia where the judge gave the young man only six months for rape. But why did that really affect you that it, so that it came out in poetry? I think, well, I'm part of the sad 33, you know, in minor ways. And when when women say, oh, I've never been molested, they forget, you know. Like, I remember an eye doctor, I've worn glasses since middle school, and a male eye doctor, and when he's doing the exam and I'm an adult, he's getting closer and closer, and he's positioned his legs spread around my knee, and I'm totally creeped out, and I want him away from me. That kind of thing happens. And oh, yeah. Small scale. It was a dentist. Happens. I went to as a child for 10 years because he was the only one in town. He had a thing for prepubescent girls. Uh -huh. And I can remember him putting his knee between my legs. His favorite handhold was around your neck. And one time, because he had this thing with just jabbing that big, you know, it used to be a huge uh, dental uh, injection and just jabbing and jabbing. One time I just refused to open my mouth and he slid one thumb between my mouth and my gums and with the other put the needle outside my cheek and said, Missy, open up or it's coming through from the outside. Oh it's terrifying. It was. Yeah. And so, you know, as it happens to us, you know, in dentists, doctors, you know, all kinds of places. Mm -hmm. And we just put up with it because we just, you know, kind of shrug and, and try to try to, you know, remove ourselves from the situation instead of trying to remove them right. from their actions. Mm -hmm. So some of these things you re re related to from your very personal experience and some because of young girls, young women who you taught. Right. Yeah. And the, the things you see, you know, even my granddaughter who is here at KU doing very well from her childhood said, I wanna be a veterinarian. She's wonderful with animals, knows everything about them. 
And yet somewhere in high school, she dropped that. And now she's going to be a social worker, which I think, you know, I'm sure she'll be very good at it, but I think she could do more. You think she got discouraged from the Oh yeah, path? absolutely. I'm a social worker, so I know that's a wonderful career for clients. Yes. But but I, I understand also that, that sense of, you know, if she had felt encouraged mm -hmm. and valued in those other pursuits, where would she be? Right. Yeah. Yeah. She just started saying, it's too hard. Oh. Oh. And I mean, that didn't come from her. Yeah. Somebody told yeah. her. Yeah. Yeah. Because she got straight A's all the way through high school. Yeah. And nothing, you know, yeah. is too hard yeah. for her. Yeah. And that's an interesting sort of side note to me is that we, we incorporate these ideas and they become labels that we have accepted my work is largely in suicide prevention and suicide bereavement support and other kinds of things that aren't quite that intense too and some that are very intense. But anyway, and and it was a beautiful thing in a, in a recent um, group meeting where somebody was talking about thoughts that he has that aren't good, healthy thoughts and that he has learned to literally say Shut up to those <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> so sometimes, just because we have a thought in our head, it does not mean it's truth. And being rude and saying shut up to that thought may be a really good idea. <laughs> but, you know, he said that. Yes. And what I tell people often is that if you think of it like this big old balloon, and then you get to poke holes in it. And the way that you poke holes in it is by reminding yourself of the examples that contradict that belief that you're not good enough, you're not smart enough. But what about that A you got in this class that other people really struggled with? What about your interest in reading this book that other people go, man, I can't believe you even understand that. You know, there are all kinds of things that when we look at our real lives, we can say, wait a minute, that doesn't fit with this thought that I have labeled. And, and there are some, some approaches that say, look at who said that to you. And maybe in some ways that's the one, not necessarily literally, but, but in, your, in your voice, in your writing, with your own words, privately you might tell that voice, no. Mom, shut up. <laughs> I am not dumb. I am not worthless or whatever those messages mm -hmm. are. You know? So, and, and to me, I, I want to go ahead and say that, that my own personal experience um, included having a, a stepfather who was alcoholic and very abusive of my mom and sexually abused me and did have a thing for young girls. So that doesn't mean that I got stopped from doing things that were good things in my life. And that's part of the thing that happens to me a lot of times when I'm at a poetry performance, a slam in particular, you know, where people bring up really high power experiences. They, they talk about those openly with no shame at the mic. 
And then people in the audience who have that experience get to go, wow, that person said what's in me and how cool is that? And, you know, it, it, it kind of lifts some of that. It opens up some light to that issue. And for me, part of that is it, it reduces shame. And that's part of what lets us move forward in a healthier way. And, and that gets back to me with, with my belief in the power of art and, and that art does save lives and words save lives. And so I'm, I'm always appreciative of people who tackle hard things. And I will also say, I'm a person who loves to laugh. So those funny poems and stories, I love hearing those too. <laughs> well, if you want to hear one of the one of the more upbeat ones, it's called Don't Call Me Dear. <laughs> right. Don't call me dear or sugar when you serve me and drop young lady from your vocabulary unless addressing your own contemporary. And if I object, don't roll your eyes or I'll give my money to the other guys and you can spend your life asking, do you want fries? When did you stop honoring the elderly as wise and instead begin thinking we will all have dementia before our extinction? Yes, Alzheimer's is a dread disease, but it affects less than 10% of the elderly. So if you please don't treat us all as if we're dummies. Our retrieval system may seem a little slow because we have so many memories we won't let go, such as the lesson from our mother to sit up straight, but our shoulders are bent from staying up late, hunched over a desk trying to stretch a social insecurity check to cover food and all the rest. But God forbid you have a condition that requires you to get a new prescription Chances are you can't afford it unless you can order it from our neighbors to the north who seem to understand what seniors are worth. For the golden years now are really brass, unless you are at least in the upper middle class. Then you might not have to live with the folks you love because you can't afford to board in the care homes of today that really only care how much you can pay. Now, fat cat congressmen with government pensions won't give social insecurity a needed extension. But we paid for this program out of every paycheck. And they want to, this is the one they choose to reject and balance the budget on our bended backs. So they attack our feeble lifeline in our own shortened lifetime. Oh, you say my voice is a little shrill and my face lacks a gracious grandmotherly smile. Well, excuse me, few things in life are indubitably true. But I'm here today to give you a clue. <clears throat> Listen up, what's happening to me will happen to you. With any luck, I will be on hand when you discover aging's not a never-never land. And it's you who find up close for firsthand social insecurity sucks, if it's not already canned. So all I have to say, my sweeties, my dears, is good friggin' luck for the next 50 years. <laughs> I love that in many ways. And and part of it, you know, you you know, you started to say it was gonna be kind of the the, the comic kind of poem. And of course it, it hits on some really hard things and that whole thing of you know, that youth is the only thing that's value. 
and and I and I think about looking, you know, whether it's a photograph <coughs> in news media or whether it's watching a film and seeing women, it's not the male actors, but women actors whose faces look much like they did 30 years ago. <laughs> and that's not natural. No. And I remember watching, when we watched the, the Dragonfly Tattoo, it's uh, some pretty intense films that are Scandinavian. And when you watch them, the original films, not the remade in English films, you see a cast of actors and actresses that look like people of different ages. Mm -hmm. they, they don't have perfectly smooth complexions and rosy cheeks on all the women. You know, in, in American-made films, the guys can be a little craggy and the women are supposed to look hot right. no matter how old they are. <laughs> right. Was that the girl with the dragon tattoo? Yeah. 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 That, I watched all that on, yeah, the Scandinavian uh -huh. version. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, it was very good. It was, it's powerful, but, but again, it was, I think it was my first time, not so much a film person, which is kind of interesting. I'm not so much a film person, so we don't go out to, to movies very often, those kinds of things. And so I probably had sort of a break in my exposure to international films. And to see that, I thought, this is really beautiful. These are real people. Mm -hmm. This is how it should be. There shouldn't be this, this very limited aesthetic for how women can yeah. yeah. So that's that was even though there there are laughs in that poem from that poem, there's a lot of stuff to think about, which yeah. is to me what good comedy is about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like comedy and I like storytelling too. Mm -hmm. Yes. I I love real the real stuff, you know. Yeah. I, I do appreciate reading memoirs. <clears throat> I do appreciate stories that are clearly and poems that are clearly very personal. You know, and not necessarily traumatic experiences. There, I remember the first time I got to talk and um, do a show with Denise Lowe, who again was a former poet laureate of Kansas who still lives in Kansas. <clears throat> and she read a poem about her native grandfather. And everything in that poem could have been written about my Russian grandfather. Oh. And it was such a cool thing to, to experience her talk about her her grandfather's silence about certain things, and that was my grandfather. Mm -hmm. He didn't he didn't want to talk. There was too much pain tied up with his having to leave his home country and his family, and so he didn't even like to talk about that. You know, so we miss getting to know a lot of who he was, yeah. but appreciate other things about him that what he was willing to share. There was it was it was such a cool thing of. You know, there's no similarity in the backgrounds on, on the outs, um, no obvious similarities in the backgrounds of at least two grandparents. They grew up in very different times, different places, different ways, different life paths, yet some important things in common. And that, that really touched me. So I, I love I love that risk. And it is a huge risk, I think, yeah. when people put themselves out there. Well, you might like this one. It's okay. with your suicide prevention. It's <clears throat> called Nighty Night. Fear as old as time itself, the dreaded lack of light. Darkest comes, shapes, shapes are vague, eyes are shuttered tight. Blankets are armor, wishes are weapons, still you lose the fight to halt the beast with ragged steps and venom in her bite. 
Silence, silence is the key not to wake the sleeping dread. To scream would only feed your fear and echo in your head as your worst poetic fantasies are being nightly fed and the great god Pan whispers in your mind, yes, you'd be better off dead. What, what brought that to you? Oh, that's a childhood experience. And you can't see, you know, the poetic, I did the thing with Edgar Allan Poe, you know, put that, his name Poe, and then added ah. him. Ah, yes. That's so the kind of wordplay. It needs to be on the page. Yes, well. yes, it does. It needs to be uh -huh. on the page. Uh-huh. Cool. So there are a variety <clears> of your <throat> personal experiences that come out. And do you, do you have this sense of, of, where that courage to say these things comes because i think i do think it takes a lot of bravery and i'm not saying that i think it's easy i don't think being brave is easy <laughs> no but it but it takes a lot it's easier as you get older sometimes it's like what are you gonna do <laughs> but for you you made that choice yeah, i've got to push yeah. through this stuff yeah yeah it's it is a bit easier as you get older i think because it's like you know can't fire me. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be old the rest of my life. <laughs> Better old than not having those years. That's yep. that reminder. That's the contradiction to me, you know, about, well, youth is valued. It's like, well, wait a minute, you know, life is valued for, life <clears throat> should be valued in the sense of what I mean by that is we, after we get born, we should have life that's worth living which looks different at different times in our mm -hmm. life. But but having reasons to laugh every day, having reminders of love every day, sharing love and kindness every day. To me, those are things that, that can be foundations for a life that's worth living. And I don't want to live to be 150 years old. You know, when you read things about, well, you can, you know, your life's expectancy is going oh, yeah. to I I want to live while I'm happy. Um, and I don't take that lightly, and I'm not saying, you know, that I want to kill myself, but I don't, I don't want to live in a mental state that I really don't find any joy. Right. And I don't think we can know what that looks like until we're living it. You know, I don't think, I don't think there's a definition that anybody else should impose on anybody else. I remember reading or hearing on NPR a long time ago a study about people with terminal illnesses. And would they rather that their lives ended quickly because they were going to die from these illnesses or would they rather live as long as possible? And the, the majority, and I couldn't tell you the, the statistics, but the majority found joy in their lives and valued being alive. And, and I think we, we need to, to honor that in people to, to let everybody decide. And that raises a tricky <coughs> question related to suicide. Um, I'm a proponent for giving everybody the opportunity to have a good life. And when they've tried and tried and tried and they can't, then I understand sadly that there are people who will end up dying of suicide. Um, I don't want that to happen because I want people to have good lives. You know, that's sort of my, my idealism. It's complicated. Everything's complicated. <laughs> well, yes, 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 yes. So you're writing about a variety of things. You're you're getting some some mentoring from Matt Spezia, who's this dynamo uh, and and wonderful, sweet person. 
and you're going to maybe be doing some things with Kevin. I'm not sure. What does that look like? What's the, the teaching thing that, that you would participate in? Oh, it's an it's a actual class at, at Emporia State. Like online, or you have to go there? No, I have to drive. <laughs> I have to drive down there. But my sister lives in Emporia also, and uh-huh. so we're going to have lunch, and it'll be good. Uh-huh. How did you know about this class? Oh, um, I don't know. Oh, um, I was just... I. Th- I had, in, well, I enjoyed my class with last year's Kevin, uh, last year's Poet Laureate, Eric McHenry. Yes. I, had, I took his beginning poetry class. And he but, taught at Washburn. Yes. And so I took his class, and then he went off doing, you know, Poet Laureate things. Uh-huh. And so he's doing beginning again. Uh-huh. And I didn't want to do beginning uh-huh. again. So I thought, well, I'll see what's going on in Emporia, and I would, and I found, you know, Kevin's class. Yeah, yeah. Well, I will say, from you know, I, I, for some reason, I've got this tie to Topeka, and because I've, I've not ever lived there, but but Dennis Edsel Jr. teaches at Washburn. Mm-hmm. He's a fabulous poet. Louise Krug, who does memoirs, uh, her personal public books that I've read are, are memoirs. She's one of the faculty there, Eric McHenry, who is a, the, a recent poet laureate. Of, you know, it's like, these are some high-power, wonderful people, writers. Like, how cool is that? Yeah, I found Eric McHenry's comments on my poetry very helpful. Uh-huh. Yeah, really, really helpful. So um, this was one that um, came out of his class. Okay. And also um, out of a dream. A dream left me aching with past tense longing, an impossible situation a long time ago, but dreams have no calendar. Why wait now, remembering the intensity of his need hidden behind a triangular smile? Instead, we call telling him you now understand your role in his life as shield from emotions he can't unpack. He does not want to grasp my message, but I see it flash across his face. War-torn Germany, a mother selling the only thing she had to feed her son in a city bombed to dust. His shame being the reason for her shame. How long can shame last? A lifetime, shown in his distrust of all women's love, shielding his heart behind the barbed wire of a camp he built years ago. He reached out, grasped my hand, and pulled it through the shredding wire, wounding us both. I took away his, I took away his presence in the night. Uh, I lock away his presence in the night's dream casket, filled with rue and rosemary. Stay inside forever, I whisper. No, don't. Mm-hmm. So with. People want to experience you. What's what would you suggest? Um, are you regular <laughs> at Speakeasy? Yes, I am. Okay. I am regular at Speakeasy. Um, so that's in Topeka on the first Wednesday of each month. Yep. And hopefully, you know, before the end of the year, I hope to get this. Um, chapbook out. Uh, I'm working on it. Very good. And I don't know. Um, 
your novel, The Orchid Garden, is in the name, the big name, Janet Jenkins Dots. And it's available through Amazon. Yes. And it's, people think it's about orchids, but the Orchid Garden is a place in China. The novel is based on the trip I took to China in 2002 to help my stepdaughter adopt a little girl. Ah. And the location stayed in my mind so vividly that when I had to write 50,000 words in 30 days, that became one of the settings. And so it's, it's set in Topeka and in two cities in China. But the thing is that it's the exact reverse of the um, experience we had because in the book, you know, the adoption goes horribly wrong. Somebody ends up dead, you know, and the heroine who's based on my niece comes back from Israel to help find out, you know, what happened to her aunt. Okay. So different from your poetry, very intriguing, also based with, some personal experiences, mm-hmm. although it's not exactly your story. And again, the Speak Easy open mic, I'm just pulling up the, there's an event page on Facebook, first Wednesday, Speak Easy open mic, and fourth anniversary poetic extravaganza um, on Wednesday, September 6th, hosted by Annette Billings and Sue Edgerton Johnston. It starts at 6.30. It's at Okay, is it called Noto Burrito or is it North Topeka? It's Noto Burrito is the little the little restaurant, and I emphasize the word little, that okay. lets us <laughs> use their space, which is very kind of them. Okay, and that is at 822 North Kansas Avenue in Topeka, Kansas. But it is, it is Noto. Noto yeah. for North Topeka, but mm-hmm. Noto. The first time I saw that, that acronym Noto, it was about the Pride Festival, and I'm like, no to Pride? Why are my <laughs> friends posting this? And then I realized, no to you all know it as a location. Right. That's the place. <laughs> Which is very cool. Well, we are at the end of our hour. Perfect timing, and it's been so delightful talking to you, getting to know you and hearing your work. And look forward to those words in writing as well. <laughs> Because those are always a treat yeah, to actually yeah. see that. Oh, that's what that is. And it <laughs> sparks a whole new level. So thank you again. And guests, or excuse me, listeners, this was Jan Stotts, also known as Janet Jenkins Stotts. You can find her in Topeka on First Wednesdays, Speakeasy Open Mics. You can find her book, The Orchid Garden, on Amazon. And at some point, there'll be a chat book coming too. Thank you. And so long to our listeners.